Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate you listening to Bible Crossfire every week at this same time. You know, we've talked about this quite frequently. John eight thirty one. Jesus said, You are my disciples indeed, if you continue in my word. Only those who continue in Jesus' word are truly his disciples. And so even if we claim to be a believer, even if we believe in Jesus, but we don't follow his word, we're not really his disciple, his follower. He says, and if you do that, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. John 8, verse 32. Only the truth will make us free from sin. False religious teaching won't do that. That's why here on this program, we emphasize the truth as opposed to what's not the truth religiously. Two plus two cannot equal four and five at the same time. It's go, the answer is going to be one or the other or neither. So when we find what the Bible teaches, we want to preach that and against anything that contradicts that. About three weeks ago, we were talking about First um, Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. Let me read that again. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. It says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We were pointing out then that we're redeemed by the blood of Christ. We're bought back by Christ. Now I want to read verse 20, which I didn't read three weeks ago. It says, who verily was foreordained, before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Did you catch that? This plan that God has, that he would send his son to die on the cross for our sins, was come up with before the foundation of the world. I find that very interesting. You know, you think that God would create man and then uh, man would sin and then God would say, oh, well, man has sinned. I need to come up with a plan to save man from their sins. But no, God came up with this plan that Jesus would redeem us with his blood from the foundation of the world, according to verse 20. Even before he created man, he created us with free will. So I guess he figured we would sin. So he came up with a plan to save us from our sins even before he ever created us. That's what I'm talking about. That's the God that we serve. Now, we might call this plan that God had to send Jesus down the cross for our sins. The plan of salvation is the plan that he had from the foundation of the world to save mankind from their sins. It's a misnomer to call the conditions of salvation the plan of salvation. That's a very, very small part of it. The plan of salvation is the plan that God would send Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Well, Let's talk a little bit about that. Let's explore it a little bit because you have a plan of salvation. There must That plan must be there to solve some sort of problem. Well, it's to solve the problem of our sin. And by the way, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. If you have this plan of salvation... That God came up with the foundation from the foundation of the world. You should expect to read about this plan of salvation all throughout the Bible. I mean, even throughout the Old Testament, and we do. Let's begin with Genesis chapter one one. It says, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl there and over the cattle and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So in the beginning, God created man, created the heavens and the earth, and he created man. But then we have the problem arise its ugly head pretty soon. In Genesis 2, 16 and 17, it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, and of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So God said he had those of these trees in the garden of Eden. You can eat of any tree but one, the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, The day you eat of that, you shall surely die. Well, I, not really the first thing that Adam and Eve did, I don't guess. We don't know how long it took, but kind of like the first thing we see in the reading is what they do. Adam and Eve sinned. Genesis 3, 1 through 6, shows that Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the very thing that God had told them not to do. Now, what did Genesis 2, verse 17 say would happen if they ate of that tree? In the day that thou shalt eat, thou shalt surely die. Did they physically die the day they ate of that tree? No. So it must be talking about spiritual death. We'll get back that, to that in a minute. Jeff from Pennsylvania, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, Pat, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Jeffrey. Glad to hear hey, from listen. you. listen. I, 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 uh, I wanted to call and just say I really appreciate the point you made, the distinction you started out with uh, when you were talking about the plan of salvation and uh, the conditions of salvation and making the point that Jesus is the plan, the death of Jesus is the plan whereby God would deal with the problem of our sin. I, I think that's really important. I, I, I think I often hear people talk about the plan of salvation and they're talking about certain things that we have to do, whether you think it's two things, one thing, three things, five things, whatever. But you and I, we understand our salvation is conditional. We, there's something we have to do. But the, but the thing that saves us is the death of Jesus Christ. That's the plan God had in mind. And I think that we need to be careful we don't detract from that when we start talking about the plan of salvation, and, and, and we do detract from it. If we just talk about the things we have to do without acknowledging the thing that's necessary for our salvation is the death of Jesus. I appreciate that point, Pat. Yeah, I, 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 it's a misnomer to call the conditions of salvation the plan of salvation. That's just, a, like I said, a very small part of it. Appreciate your call, Jeff. Any further comments? You, you got the floor. Take it, take it if you'd like it. Now, what, did, in, the, in how I expressed it, was I saying the same thing you're saying? Did I understand you correctly? Oh. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I thought it was a really yeah. good point. I'll, I'll listen to what you have to say the rest of the program. I'm on the road right now, and I'll try to – I've got a little time here. I can, can give some attention to what you're doing here. Thank you, Pat. Okay. Thanks, Jeff. So what we see is is that – we have this plan of salvation that God came up with before the foundation of the world. As I said, what's interesting to me is it was come up with before man was ever created, before he ever sinned. The plan that Jesus would come and die and redeem us with his blood. So we have in Genesis 2.17, in the day that thou eat, thou shalt surely die. Well, they ate. 
I believe this is talking about spiritual death here. Death is a separation. That's kind of basic in the word you might think, might, you might say. James 2.26 says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, even so faith without works is dead also. So you have physical death is the separation of the body from the spirit. So spiritual death would be the separation of us from God. So when we look at Genesis 2.17, I don't think he's saying in that day that Adam and Eve would physically die when they ate, but they would spiritually die. They would be separated from God. Now, that's the problem the plan of salvation is intended to solve, the problem of sin. We'll go get back to that in a minute, but let's take this call. Carl from Alabama, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Uh, yes, Pat. I was asked a question once that does the name of the I'm sorry does the name of the church matter? And they were telling me that it doesn't matter. But I got a few verses if you don't mind. I'd like to read off real quick and get your thought on. Okay, go ahead, Carl. Go ahead, Carl. Okay. First of all, uh, in uh, Colossians chapter one verse eighteen, it said that Jesus, the head of the body of the church. Okay. Then Acts chapter four verse twelve it said. No other name given under heaven by which man to be saved. Okay, then if we look at Second Peter uh, chapter one verse twenty, it says the scripture the scripture is under no private interpretation. Okay, but then we turn around and look at uh, I'm sorry, uh, let's take a look at First uh, Corinthians chapter three verse eleven. It said, for, for no other foundation can no man lay that has already been laid upon, which is Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2.20, it said, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone of a church. So in, the, in Romans chapter 12, 6, 16, 12, 16, it said, be of the same mind. So if there's no other name given unto heaven by which man to be saved, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Uh, why, how can you say that? Uh a name doesn't matter. Well, Carl, I would say names do matter. But I would say this also. We need to keep in mind when we talk about how the Bible authorizes thing, things, Carl, it doesn't just authorize by example. It also, also authorizes by command, statement, necessary inference. Uh, I, even one place I can think of authorizes us to say amen at the when somebody at the end of a prayer by a question. So there are a number of different ways that the Bible authorizes. We don't want to limit the authority down to examples on any any topic. Okay, so whatever the Bible authorizes, if it's scriptural, we can use that term. If it's a scriptural term. You follow what I'm saying? Like I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at uh, Hebrews twelve twenty three. It says to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. So I'm assuming that well, actually, I think I could be wrong about this, but I, I, I'm pretty sure I've done some research on that. And it's actually talking about the church of the firstborn ones. So so it wouldn't be wrong to call the church the church of the firstborn or the firstborn ones. Well, but that's an actual example that's used in the scriptures, Carl. And uh, but yeah. and, and then I also want to repeat what I said. We're not limited to examples on anything. Commands and statements also provide authority for any anything that we're thinking about doing religiously. You agree, Carl? Well, yes, I agree. But at the same time, I think the Bible says that uh, God put Jesus ahead of the church. 
And uh, Jesus said, on this rock, I build my church. And Jesus is coming back to collect the church. So I don't see how you can start off with calling yourself a church when when you name it after a man or some other fictitious character. And and then you're not acknowledging God. The Bible says love God with all our heart, mind, body, and soul. We're supposed to put God first before anything. So if we if Jesus died on the cross for us, we should acknowledge the love and grace that Jesus did that gave us by dying on the cross for us and uh, represent him when we come together to have church as Christians. So I don't think you could be fair to God if we go in and call ourselves starting a church and say that we're Christians and then name it after James or St. Paul or, or Methodist or Baptist. Yeah, and I'm in 100% agreement with that, like the Lutheran church. It, right. that, that's, that's a mis, that's, that's, that's teaching a falsehood. The church is not, is not belong to Luther. It, Luther's not the head of it. We don't follow Luther. This is condemned by first Corinthians chapter one. You don't, you don't, you, people were saying, I'm a Cephas, I'm a Paul. He said, don't do that. You definitely should not right. aim it, name it after a man because if you're naming the church after a man, then you're rep, misrepresenting the church. But right. if you represent the church correctly, scripturally, then then you're fine, as long as you're scriptural with it. Yeah, I know that I have some people it, call, like, call the church of God in Christ, and there's not, nothing wrong with it. But when you, uh, to me, when you're adding something that's non-spiritual to the church, anything that's non-spiritual, that's don't run accord with the word of God, I think it's wrong. Well, are you saying that was right or wrong to call it the church of God oh. in Christ? Oh, now that's right. I agree with that. The Church of God in Christ, yeah. the Church of God. I, I can agree with that. But when you add something that doesn't have anything to do with spirituality with the Word of God, I, I think that's wrong. Because you can't, we can't make anything part of our worship that is not uh, pleasing and acceptable to God. For the, so everything we do, I think, should be based upon the Word of God. Yep, and, uh, it's got to be authorized like by the Word of God, me. Colossians three seventeen. Right, right. like God told me. We agreed with. We agreed on that, Carl. All right, one, one last statement. I'm gonna get off so somebody else can get in. Because uh, the guy told me he said, uh, "Do you? So you trying to say that the only people going to heaven will be the members of the Church of Christ?" And I told him, "Yes." I said, "Not everyone in the congregation of the Church of Christ go to heaven just because they're a member of the uh, congregation of the Church of Christ." But Jesus is the one add you to the church, and Jesus is the one can take you from the church. So if Jesus has add you to the church, you've been adopted into the priesthood, you're part of the church, and sure you're going to heaven. Carl, we appreciate your call. All right, thank you. Okay, all right. Again, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. We were talking about spiritual death, how that would mean our our spirit being, or our, us being separated from God. Along those lines, let's look at a parallel, Isaiah 59, verse 2. So in Genesis 2, 17, God told Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. I think talking about spiritual death. Isaiah 59, 2 then would teach the same thing about the Israelites. It says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You know, I want to ask this question. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, who did God say would die because of their sin? 
in the day that you you shall surely die, Adam and Eve. And here it's talking about spiritual death in Isaiah 59 verse 2. Your sins have separated between you and your God. So what caused the Israelites to be separated from God? It was their sins, their iniquities, Isaiah 59 verse 2. It wasn't Adam and Eve's sins. The only people that died spiritually because of Adam and Eve's sin is Adam and Eve. And the Israelites died spiritually, were separated from God because of their own sins, not because of Adam and Eve. So I guess what I'm getting at is this idea of inherited original sin is not taught by the Bible. Sin is something you do, not it, not, not something you inherit. You inherit how tall you are. Uh, my friend Jeff, who called in a while ago, I think he's 6'4". He's tall. His brother is 6'7". Where did they get that? Well, his, their dad is tall. They get it from their dad. It's genetics. Uh, Jeff has blonde hair. Well, where did he get that? That's genetics. He inherited that. But sin is not something you inherit like that. Sin is more like riding a bicycle or washing your hands. It's something you do. You know, the number one passage in the Bible used by the Catholics and the Calvinists to try to prove this idea of inherited original sin is Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I think if we read that, we're going to see that it actually teaches the very opposite of that. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all has sinned. Let's break that verse down into two parts. The first part, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And that's so true. Who is that one man? It's Adam. Before Adam's sin, there was no sin in the world. And so death entered the world through Adam. No doubt about that. Now let's look at the second part of the verse. It says, and so death passed upon all men for that Adam sinned. Uh, I misquoted that, didn't I? It says, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Death, spiritual death, passed upon all men, not because Adam sinned, but because all have sinned. The reason Adam and Eve died spiritually, as we read in Genesis 2.17, was because they sinned. The reason Pat and Jeff and Carl die spiritually is because we sin, not because Adam and Eve sin. You see that? Sin is something you do, not something you inherit. We can't try to throw the blame on somebody else and say, I'm a sinner or I die spiritually because of Adam and Eve's sin. No, the blame lies squarely on me. I'm separated from God because of my own sin, not because of anybody else's sin. You see that? So the Catholic Church, as far as I'm concerned, came up with this doctrine of inherited original sin. And, and it led to another problem. Because they thought that infants are born guilty of sin because it's passed on from their parents, from Adam all the way down, they invented this doctrine of infant baptism. Why? Because they figured that, well, if somebody is born guilty of sin and they die in that condition as an infant, they're going to be lost forever. We better baptize them real quick to get rid of that inherited original sin. And so they came up with this idea of infant baptism, a perfect example of one false doctrine leading to another. And by the way, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. In Acts 8, verse 35, beginning, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, 
and began the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus, talking about the eunuch. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The eunuch wanted to be baptized. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. May what? You may be baptized. What does that imply? If you don't believe, you may not be baptized. Well, what about an infant? An infant can't believe. It's not his fault. He's not mature enough. He can't believe, therefore he can't be scripturally baptized according to this and many other texts. You see, it's the perfect example the Catholic Church came up with inherited original sin and that false doctrine led to another false doctrine of infant baptism. We better baptize these infants to get rid of that inherited original sin because if they die in this condition without baptism, in that sin they're going to be lost. And so what we're really talking about is our need. Let's go, while we're in Romans, look at Romans 3, verse 23. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So everybody has the same problem. Everybody has the problem of sin. All of us sin. And, and the result of that sin, which we've already talked about, but we find again in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm thinking there's probably a contrast here in wages and gift. Wages is something you earn. You go to a job, they pay you. You don't think of that as a gift. It's something you earn. That's wages. What we deserve for our sin is death. We earn it. But the gift of God is eternal life. That's not something we earn. It's just like Jeff said. That's what saves us, the death of Christ. Salvation is conditional. We have to meet conditions. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 16. But those are just the conditions that we have to meet to be saved by the death of Christ. That salvation provided for by the blood of Christ is a gift. It's a gift of eternal life for those who will trust and obey. So all of us sin, Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. The result of our sin is death. That's spiritual death, separation from God. We all have this problem then. We cause the problem. We sin. We get ourselves into this condition. We're lost, separated from God. We've broken this relationship with God. We're on our way to the bad place to live with the devil forever in burning fire. Unless we can get forgiveness, we can't solve the problem ourselves. So God solves the problem for us. He sends his son to die on the cross for our sins. Abraham said in Genesis 22, 8 to Isaac, when Isaac said, see, here's the fire in the wood, but where's the lamb for the sacrifice. Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. Well, that's what exactly happened to us too. God provided the lamb in Genesis 22, the physical ram, the sheep, but God provides the lamb for us. We've sinned. We have the result of that is our spiritual death. No way we can solve that problem. So God provides the lamb. He provides the solution. He sends the lamb of God, John 1, to solve the problem of our sin. That's what the plan of salvation is intended to solve. That's the problem. God created man. We all sin, beginning with Adam and Eve. We're lost. We're separated from God. The wages of sin is death. We can't solve the problem ourselves. God, from the foundation of the world, came up with this plan that he would send Jesus to redeem us with his blood, that he would die on the cross so that we could be forgiven. Those who trust and obey can be forgiven of their sins. If you have a Bible question or comment, we got one or two more minutes left. The number to call is 
877-655-6755 if you have a Bible question or comment. Now, we're not going to have time to get into it, but perhaps next week we can start talking about this plan of salvation. As we said, if it started with the foundation of the world, we should expect to read about it all the way throughout the Bible. And we can begin to read about it at least by Genesis 12, 1 through 3. We'll take up with that hopefully next week. want to remind you that if you'd like to study with me free of charge, one-hour phone Bible study at your convenience, I want you to call or text me 256-682-9753. If you would like to do a free one-hour phone Bible study with me anytime at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753. Now, remember what we started out with. You are my disciples indeed, if you continue in my word. Jesus said that. We have to continue in his word to be a true disciple. Appreciate you listening tonight. Be sure to listen next week at this same time.